right, I don't normally do double duty. Uh, you'll see reasons as I go into the message here why I was on double duty today. My name's Pete. I'm still a pastor here. I'm super glad we can be together today. We are in week three of a series that we are calling Suburban Idols, and the goal is to look at the things in our lives that we place ahead of loving God and loving people. That becomes idolatrous. That can be even good things. We're focusing especially on the things that we see being an issue in the community around us. But trust me, these are all relevant if you live in downtown or out in the country. And this week, I am starting with an announcement that is both joyous and deeply sad for many of us here at the church. Uh, River Heights Vineyard was planted out of South Metro Vineyard in Burnsville in 1990. And I actually went to South Metro when it was Victory Fellowship in 1976 through like 1979. John Marsden, one of our founding pastors, was a pastor there, and I'm pretty sure he taught me Sunday school at least one time, because he was Sunday school teacher while I was a kid in that Sunday school. And he and Sue were a part of that church until they left to plant this church. Gay Naren, our pastor and friend, worked there for many years as well. About a year ago, Greg Perkinson, my very good friend to this day, resigned from South Metro as their lead pastor. And on staff, we were just all hit so hard and prayed, God, we want this church to stay in the vineyard. We want the work that you have done through this church to be famous for the rest of time. We want your people to continue to be and to grow here. And so we prayed and asked God to bring a great lead pastor, and John Marsden agreed to go over and be the interim pastor. They had been down to a core of 40 to 50 people for a week, per week, and we really want to see them reconnect with their past and grow into their future. You may not know they were the largest food shelf in the state for quite a while. So much good has been done in God's name through South Metro Vineyard, and all of us on staff here are passionate about keeping that church alive. Several months ago, they asked permission to interview Justin Law, our worship pastor, for the lead pastor position there. John and I thought at the time Justin was a pretty ideal candidate on a short list, and as long as there were two candidates, I could be real happy about this process and hope that the other candidate got the job. Unfortunately, the other candidate withdrew from the job application process. And so today, I am both sad and rejoicing as I announce that Justin has accepted the position of lead pastor at South Metro Vineyard Church, where he is being introduced to the congregation today. They're going to have a vote of affirmation next week. He was unanimously improved by the search committee and the board, and we all expect that's going to go super well, and we expect that to be positive. And so we rejoice with South Metro because they're getting a wonderful man of God with all kinds of amazing gifts. I am rejoicing with Justin because he has experienced the Holy Spirit guiding him into accepting this role. And it's a chance for him to grow in new ways and make an impact for the kingdom. God knows the future better than any of us. And I trust that God has been active through this entire process. I've seen it from start to finish. And so this is good news for South Metro. This is good news for Justin. And eventually this is good news for us too because that's how God works. Um, I want to apologize to people who feel a little blindsided. Normally we do everything with like complete transparency as much as possible here and let people know early. It's been challenging here because both congregations, we have people with relationships in both places, and they really wanted to be respectful of the search process and not make an announcement about who was selected for a good long time. And so they asked us not to share. And so we didn't not tell you because we don't love you. 
Uh, we didn't not tell you because you're important. We just didn't tell you yet because it was important to South Metro Vineyard that we wait, okay? Justin has been an amazing pastor for our community. He built a rotating set of four worship teams that lead us in the best worship music I have ever experienced in a church. He has pastorally cared for a community of 45 plus people in the worship arts. Most churches our size do not have 45 people in the worship arts. He's developed leaders. He cares deeply for people going through life's challenges, and he's included people from every walk of life as they're gifted. He's developed his spiritual life through a master's degree from St. Stephen's University, a vineyard university. He got his spiritual direction certification. He's practicing the Ignatian exercises with the Order of Common Life, a monastic movement in the vineyard. And he has very much been my friend and a friend to so many of us. And so we're going to celebrate Justin's time with us and his new call on October 29th. We are canceling first service on October 29th. This is second service, so you can say, yay, <laughs> yay. The reason we're doing that is so that we can party after the service. The church is going to provide uh, smoked pork, barbecue pork sandwiches, and we're asking everybody to bring sides and desserts that you can share with other people. We hope you'll come. We hope you'll bring a friend. It'll be a day to remember. Justin's given us a ton to celebrate. At the same time, while we celebrate, we are grieving. There is a sense of loss whenever anyone leaves our community. If you visit one time and don't come back, we're sad about that. But rarely have we experienced someone so central to our fellowship being called to another place. And so we're going to see less of Justin, and he won't be leading here anymore. And I'm going to miss him at staff meeting and during the week. And so at times like this, I am grateful for a Savior who gets us. Jesus lost a ton of his friends during his time on earth as they scattered or turned or just left. Uh, Jesus knows what it's like to lose someone you love. He cried when his friend Lazarus died. And so we know Jesus can understand our sense of loss. And of course, there's going to be an impact on our church. We're losing a super gifted worship leader. Um, although he's asked people to stay at River Heights, uh, which he has asked, it's kind of him, um, it's still natural to wonder, like, what's going to happen to us? You know, we stayed real healthy as a community through COVID, which was a gift of God. We grew in attendance and giving through the years of challenge. But then last year, we sent out 30 people at once to plant the refuge, a new vineyard church in Rosemont, with Pastor Jeff Connor leading them, and we have missed our friends. And it's been a tougher year. We've had financial challenges this year. That's part of what happens when you send 30 people away. And now we're going to send another pastor and friend. What's going to happen to us? I was sharing with our children and youth pastor, Becca Buncher, who's amazing, and I was feeling bad. And she said, have you considered being terrible at your job? <laughs> and I said, what? No, not really. Should I? Am I? What? And she said, you're part of a community that develops people and leaders and sends them out with blessing. And that's a strength. Maybe you should just try being controlling and refusing to let anybody go, and then you won't have to deal with the pain of loss. And I said, thank you, because that's a really kind framework for what's happening here. That this is actually a sign of God's favor and God doing good things, and that something good is happening here that's worth sharing with the rest of the world. We're here to help people, love God, love people, and change the world. And Justin and Jeff are going to be doing that for years to come, decades to come, God willing, with more people than we ever could have reached here alone. 
God has poured out so much blessing on us here at River Heights, and God has poured out blessing for other people through us here at River Heights, and God wants to continue doing that. We had a member meeting where I kind of rolled this out yesterday. If you didn't get the invite, I'm sorry. We just emailed everyone who's ever signed up for membership. And I just said, you know, love has a cost. Jesus' love for us looks like this, and it cost him everything. And to let someone into your heart is to know that you may experience pain as a result. And that's part of what's happening right now. But God wants to continue to bless people through us. God is not calling people out of River Heights to start new churches for our detriment. God's plan for God's people remains good. God's plan is to prosper God's people, not to do harm. But in our weakness and insecurity, we can see even God's work as a threat to our well-being. When that happens, something has gone wrong. Anytime we believe now God can't help us or now God won't help us, we are actually putting something ahead of God. And that brings us to our message today. This week, we're going to talk about an idol that Diane Lehman, one of our national vineyard leaders, calls the number one priority in America. You can screw with a lot of people's priorities, but if you mess with this one, you're in a world of hurt. Security. And I think Diane's totally right, even and more especially in the suburbs. Why do people live in the suburbs in the first place? It's to have a safe place to raise our kids. How do we arrange our homes in neighborhoods with fences and low speed limits, cul-de-sacs, fire stations and police stations, everywhere throughout? The playgrounds have no more merry-go-rounds. I ran into an old, rusty merry-go-round in the desert in Arizona, and the first thing I did was put my kids on there and spin it till they flew off. And they were like, ow, Dad, what's up? And I'm like, welcome to playing, you know? <laughs> uh, a whole bunch of my neighbors, we had someone break into our house a few years back, and three neighbors had footage of it on their ring cameras that you have to make sure you don't even answer the door if it's not safe. I will never forget, we had a neighbor come over, knock on our door, proceed to yell at me for allowing our son to climb our tree in our yard because it is an unsafe example for his same age child. Right? I'm not bitter. <laughs> The centrality of safety is everywhere around us. News headlines, trumpet crimes, and world problems super far removed to us because they know when you trigger our safety, we're more likely to click, more likely to buy, more likely to stay in the news. Candidates run on platforms in the country with more people in jail than anywhere in the world where their platform is entirely, I'll be even harder on people who commit crimes. As if we didn't. <laughs> as if it wasn't already worse than it ought to be. Politicians run for almost promising safety, and if you're discovered to have been merciful to someone who later did something bad, you're out. Our government, our military, our security forces promise us something they can never actually deliver, which is safety and security. And what does God have to say about this? Where, where as followers of Jesus, does our safety and security lie? It turns out there are a ton of Bible passages on this topic, and so many of them I never noticed before actually present security in God in contrast to security in the kinds of things this world offers to us. The Bible says, do not put your safety and security in any man-made thing or any man-made group because your security is meant to rest with the living God. 
There are more passages about this just in the Psalms, the prayer songs of the Bible, than I can count, more than would fit in a sermon on a Sunday unless we were in Africa and I had three hours, which don't worry, we're in Minnesota, I get it, we're not doing that. We're limiting our search to two Psalms today for the sake of leaving before lunchtime. The first is Psalm 20, and let's turn to Psalm 20 and see where God encourages us to place our security and safety. Psalm 20, verse 1. May the Lord answer you when you're in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion, the city of God. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant you all your requests. So this is a prayer song, and it's meant to teach us how to pray for ourselves and for our community. The you here, like many instances of you in the Old Testament, is plural. And we don't have a way of designating that in English, so I just want to read to you a paraphrase. May God hear our cries, send us help, support us, remember our sacrifices and offerings, grant us the desires of our hearts and make our plans succeed, and may we shout for joy as we lift up banners in God's name. May God hear our requests. God's invitation here is to find our security in being the people of God. God who watches over his people as we honor him in our lives and our gatherings. The writer continues in verse 6, Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hands. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They're brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king and answer us when we call. Now, I love the song Justin Law has written from verse 7 here. If you haven't heard it, it's called Chariots. Just look for it on YouTube or Spotify or whatever you use, Chariots by Justin Law. The contrast here is one that shows up so often in the Bible that I have to mention it in a sermon, even knowing it might trigger some people. The nations around the people of God trust in their military for protection. That's what a chariot is. Chariots don't plow fields. Chariots don't transport you from place A to place B. That's a real uncomfortable way to do that, right? Chariots are for winning battles. And the contrast here is the nations around the people of God trust in the military for their security, but not us. We know they're going to fall before God's people ever fall, right? And so there's a priority there. God first, security in God first. I know I'm more likely to trust God in good times, to rely on God when there are no threats. Does anyone find it easy to trust God when things are going well? Right? You can go to church and sing, I trust God because it's awesome, meaner, <laughs> I'm doing good. Right? But the Bible actually calls us to security that is greater than our circumstances. Security in good circumstances isn't security at all. Amen? I mean, that's just not security. That's I'm happy right now. Here's what Paul has to say about trusting God in circumstances in Romans 8, 35 to 39. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble 
or calamity, or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our circumstances, no matter what our earthly protections are, are going to fail us sometimes. You may be in the middle of some really broken and failed circumstances right now. I'm glad you came today if you are. But there is a security that we can have when we put our trust in Jesus. That is a security that we are loved by the creator of the universe. And that in the end, you will have overwhelming victory, no matter what you face, no matter what comes. God is not going to desert you, and God is never going to stop loving you. There is no threat above or below, outside or inside, that's ever going to cause God's love to stop flowing toward you. You may feel it or not. We go through seasons where we feel God's love. We go through seasons where we wonder why we don't feel it right now. You may find it sufficient or not. Sometimes you're like, yeah, I know you love me, but can I have what I want now, please? Right? We may be faithful or not, but God's love for you will never end. Never. Psalm 91 is also largely about safety and security. Let's take a look at what Psalm 91 has to say. We'll break it up into a few chunks. Verse 1. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. And you notice the language here. This is saying, actually, let's put all our safety in God's hands. Let's make God alone our place of refuge and security and safety. Why is this? Verse 3, for he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers and shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night or the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness nor the disaster that strikes at midday Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. And I really like how comprehensive these verses are. Don't fear traps or disease or night terrors or arrows flying through the sky. That's war. Disasters in the daytime, people dying around us. This song invites us to rely on God for our security and protection. And I love the imagery of God covering us with his feathers and sheltering us with his wings like a mother bird over her chicks. I love the comprehensiveness and gentleness of God's 
protection in this psalm. This is a reason the early church could be famous throughout the Roman Empire to the point where lots of non-Christian historians wrote about it, that when the plague would happen and everybody fled, the Christians would head toward the city so that they could go take care of people who were on death's door. The early Christians trusted God to take care of them whether they lived or died to the point that they had the security to go towards something that they had no idea how to combat. And many of them lost their life doing so. But they lost their life loving other people, giving their lives in sacrifice so that people could hear the word of God before they died. The rest of Psalm 91 is promises from God. Verses 9 through 13. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. Does anybody want to become a snake handling church? Volunteers? Volunteers? All right, me neither. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. So the lion and the snake were the deadliest animals in the region. Can you imagine uh, you don't own guns and there's a lion running around the neighborhood and you get a stick that's pointy on one end, okay? That's like, that's fairly scary, right? And what the author's saying here is these things are nothing before the protection of God. You have something better than a gun. You have the most high. You don't need other protection. I have put my guardian angel through the ringer over the years. You guys have no idea how dumb I've been. I'm going to share one small story, and this is just one of many. Uh, I was with my friends. I was living at the Union Gospel Mission, Union Rescue Mission in L.A. for a summer. 5,000 people a night er, per meal eating there, 3,000 sleeping there. It was crazy. And we took a break. We went to the beach, and there was a 200-foot cliff at the beach. And I looked at it, and I was like, gosh, that looks easy to climb down. I eyeballed it, and it's made out of sand, and there's tufts of stuff growing every now and then. And I'm like, hey, guys, I'm climbing down this thing. And they're like, uh, no, Pete, you're not. Don't do that. And I was like, too bad. I'm climbing. And they said, well, we don't want to see you die, so we're leaving. And they left. And I start climbing, right? I get down to about 12 feet down, 188 feet in the sky, and it turns out sand is not a good handhold. I grab onto a bunch of stuff, I lower myself down, and it rips off. And I start sliding, and then I start falling. And I fall another 12 feet, I slide about 20, and as I'm falling, I cry out, oh God. I rotate because I hit something, and my heel lands on a piece of ground this big. My whole shoe, I'm wearing a sandal, of course. I'm rock climbing in a sand, I'm, I'm climbing down a cliff in a sandal. I land with my heel back to the cliff, so hard that a piece of glass goes through it into my heel, right? Like I dropped a ways. And I plant. I'm not a gymnast. I've never done this before. There was no practice. And I felt like God saved my life. Now, maybe I'm awesome. Maybe I was just like so good at this that I like landed this out of skill. Maybe I fell 12 feet onto one half of my foot and planted that sucker. No, I don't think so. I think God saved my life. God can protect us even from our own stupidity, people. And your stupidity is more dangerous to you than militaries, right? God can protect us even from the consequences of our actions. Our recovery meeting, Celebrate Recovery on Tuesdays, 
all of us who come deal with so many consequences of our actions. And so often, God meets us as we come to God and delivers us, even from things we've inflicted on ourselves. We have a powerful, generous, wonderful God who cares about us when we do good and, like any parent, cares about us when we do wrong. Psalm 91 finishes with more promises, verses 14 to 16. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, O God, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Psalm 91 is full of verses of faith and safety and security. And these words help reorient our heart away from trust in earthly things, which fail, and toward trust in God, who never fails. And so I want to encourage you today, trust in the Lord. Through the darkest night, through the deepest valley, through momentary crises, and through long, hard times, your trust in the Lord will never fail in the end. And we can't say that about trust in anything else. God will rescue you. And if you're in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death right now, I want you to hear God's going to rescue you. God will bring you honor as you honor God. Now, of course, we read these promises and questions come to mind. What about people who trust in God and are still harmed? We're all going to die whether we trust in God or not. Why is it, O oh pastor, that bad things still happen to good people? That's actually the number one pastoral question. Number one, people leave faith. Reason people lose faith. I have a couple answers for you that might help uh, about why these things still happen. Number one, um, most of the verses in the Old Testament that give these promises are speaking to you plural. And it really changes how these promises read. Uh, in the Bible when it says uh, there is no temptation coming to you that you can't defeat, how many of us know that's not true? Like regardless of the fact that the Bible says it, how many people know there's temptation you can't defeat, right? Well, the reason is it's you plural. As the people of God, there is no temptation that's going to overcome the collected people of God, right? When we join the people of God, we become a member of something that is not going to be defeated. The Bible says Jesus Christ gave his life for the church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And so many of these promises aren't you will never see plague, you will never see disaster. These promises are you as a people will be kept safe in the end from plague and disaster. And so that's meant to build us up as the people of God, to keep us connected in community, and to keep us, as the people of God, turning to God. The second thing that I think helps with these promises is that eternal security beats earthly security. Could I get an amen there? I've preached before. I'll just briefly mention, in the West, we tend to emphasize the way sin leads to death. There's a verse about that. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his Lord. 
in the Eastern Christian tradition, they talk about how it's actually death that causes us to sin. Because of the fear of death, the knowledge of our mortality, we are greedy, power-hungry, angry, fearful, unkind, grasping, selfish, proud. And Jesus sets us free from the fear of death. When you place your security in Christ, you can rely on the resurrection because Jesus Christ has already done it and is alive. And so the eternal security that we have is not threatened when COVID comes. The eternal security we have is not threatened by wars in the news or explosions at home. Our eternal security is not threatened because someone broke into my house and briefly took our car, you know? Today, we're going to transition into ministry time. I want to invite the worship team to come back up here. And my invitation to you as we start to worship is to just express your trust in God. I invite you to confess security and safety in the Lord, even if that is a struggle for you. And I invite you to pray as God teaches us to pray in the Psalms that God alone is our safety and our refuge. Please stand as you are able. And I'm going to read three tips for you for putting the word of God into practice as we have received it today. I have a Reformed friend who's like, you can't give tips to people or they'll think they're earning God's love. You do not earn God's love, okay? The tips are meant to give you ways to connect to God who already loves you, right? Tip number one, read Psalm 20 and Psalm 91, and I encourage you to read them out loud. They're actually in the Bible as a way to train us how to pray. I encourage you to read them out loud. Tip number two, Pray about your security and declare your trust in God. There's a story where Jesus is walking along and a guy comes up and I forget if it's the daughter or the servant. I think it's the servant. If anyone remembers, by all means, shout it out. And he says, Jesus, I need you to heal my servant. And Jesus says, if you believe, it's possible. And what does he say? He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And that's good enough. Jesus heals him instantly. And so it's okay to say, God, I trust in you. I do feel afraid. God, my security is in you. Help me have more security, oh God. It's okay to wrestle with God on these topics and still to pray and confess out loud the good things of Scripture. Tip number three is to practice trusting God from your deepest self. So uh, you doubtless have reasons for not having security. I have reasons for not having security. You get beat up a lot as a kid. You don't feel very secure for the rest of your life. So goes the science, right? Um, I want to invite you to sit in the presence of God and actually consider the places where you struggle with security in God's presence in a place that's safe. And I want to encourage you to just give those things to God. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my way on you because it's easy and light. And so I just want to invite you to consider whatever it is that causes you to feel fear and insecurity and offer that to God. You can do that here today or anytime during the week as part of our tips. I'll lead us in prayer as we transition to worship together. You know, God, we just come before you and we say we trust in you and we know we have security in you. And we also say that sometimes it's hard to trust and sometimes we feel insecure. We believe, Lord, Help us with our unbelief. 
And I especially want to pray for you who are here and can hardly even see, trust in God right now. I pray first that you would have an experience of God's presence and love and power that reveal the character of God. Holy Spirit, come.